Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Welcome to Grafted. Uh, I'm not the usual one up here, as David pointed out. Uh, this is not my house. And that uh, thing over the island, yeah, that's not my branch. So, uh, Sean's up at Hume Lake, if you didn't already know. As David said, if you didn't know who I am, I am Ryan. I get to serve alongside a group of awesome people, part of the serving staff here. If you're new with us here, I'm so glad you came. Um, we're here at Grafted are here only about one thing, and that's helping college students know Jesus Christ, to break open the word and to apply it to our lives and see what it has to say. We're still taking a little break from our walk through the Gospel of John as we looked at the doctrines of grace the last two weeks, and tonight we're going to jump into 1 Peter. But before we jump there tonight, I want to ask you a question. What are some things that you place your trust in just in general, things that you say, yeah, that, that gains a lot of my trust. Maybe you place a lot of trust in money, having security through that. Maybe you put a lot of trust in our institutions and our government, although, mm, hope not. <laughs> How about some things that you don't put your trust in, like maybe the government? <laughs> or maybe you could be like me, uh, an aspiring structural engineer going to school for it, I don't trust a building over three stories tall. No, it's not happening. Not going in it. Sorry. I'll avoid it like the plague. <laughs> but those are just a few things to name, things we do put trust in, things we don't put trust in. But there's hundreds of things vying for our attention to put our trust in them. And you know that we as college students are always struggling with trusting in accomplishments and items as well. The world we live in is constantly pushing inward on us and telling us what we should trust in. They tell you, hey, you need to be focused on school, on works right now so that later you can live easy, retire early, have all the fun toys. Be focused on making money right now so that you can live life easy later. Or they tell you, hey, just focus on having a good time. You know, drinking, partying, sex, it's all good if you're having fun. All of it's fine. Or hey, they also tell you, hey, don't focus on anything. Just do whatever you want, whenever you want. Live life by the seat of your pants. Just enjoy the ride. Or even the information that we're fed from schools and culture and media, what science says, what the latest social issue is. And they all expect you to be fully on board and place your trust in it just like they have. Tonight, we're going to attack this view and see that a view that doesn't look past here and now, because you need to focus your hope on Christ's return. Turn your Bibles, you're already probably there, to 1 Peter 1, where we're going to break down this passage and see that you need to fix your hope on Christ's return. 1 Peter 1, look down at verse 13. It says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now before we dive deeper into this text and bring out the truths, let's get a little bit of context for where we are in First Peter. Peter is writing to Christians who are starting to feel the weight of the power in, at B on them. Rome is starting to really press down on them. 
and he calls them to stand strong. He's writing to a group who's no stranger to persecution already, but now it's getting even worse. And he still calls them, stand strong. Here in chapter 1, where we are tonight, Peter has just been expounding on what a great salvation that we have. He starts explaining that in verse 3. Look there, verse, look up there, verse 3 real fast. We're going to go through a couple verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now read this because to get this, we need to understand where he's coming from now in verses 13 through 16. The very first word in verse 13 is therefore. And the question you always got to ask when there's a therefore, what's the therefore therefore? So in light of, therefore, verses 1 through 8, this great salvation that we have, we have to obey verses 13 through 16. And if you haven't already, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the last two weeks because that is really the salvation that drives us to do verses 13 through 16 in 1 Peter tonight. In light of that salvation, you need to fix your hope on Christ's return. Let's read again. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours and in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Out of these verses, two main points. We'll have point number one, know what you fix your hope on. Number two, how you fix your hope on Christ's return. Let's jump right in. Number one, know what you fix your hope on. Know what you fix your hope on. We're going to skip over the first half of verse 13 for a moment and come back to it and look. But look there because we see the main command right there in verse 13. It says, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fix is the main action to take out of this passage. To fix, to lock on, set your sights on. Having a sharp focus. This is a command, a statement that leaves only one of two responses. Do it or don't do it. There is no try. (laughs) One person got that. (laughs) It's not going to happen to you. You yourself need to be fixed. It's a lot like this. Everyone here has been to a a wedding, right? You know whose face is the best to see at a wedding? It's It's the bride's future husband. Because his gaze is completely locked on who his bride is coming down the aisle. 
Doesn't matter what's happening around him. He is completely fixed on his bride coming towards him. So that's what being fixed is. But what are you fixing? What are you setting your sight on? You're fixing your hope. Hope in the Bible is not quite the same as we often hear it in our day. It's not a girl picking the flowers, petals off of flowers like, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me. It's not a a fanciful thought, as brutal as that might sound. Biblical hope is of the same essence as faith. However, they differ in what time. Where faith is more related to here and now, hope is more on things to come. Both are acts of having certainty and placing trust in what God has planned. Here in 1 Peter, it's fixing your trust in the things to come. So to what extent is that trust? It is complete. Notice in verse 13, it says, fix your hope completely. It is unreserved. There is nothing held back. You cannot say, Christ has my eternal destiny. You know, I trust in that, but I still kind of need to trust in money over here to make a living and, you know, keep going. That's not having your hope completely fixed on Christ. Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek first, set your sights on first the kingdom of God and he will provide for you. Well, then what are we completely fixing our hope on? As I've alluded to before, we are to fix our hope on the return of Christ. Look back at verse 13. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The grace coming to us when Christ comes back, in the same way that that salvation is nothing but grace that Peter talks about in verses 3 through 12. This coming at the revelation of Christ is also just grace of God. Nothing but a gift. Nothing that we have earned. But he lavishes it freely upon us all. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This is grace that he is slowly revealing to us over time and is going to come to full fruition when Christ returns. That phrase, at the revelation of Jesus Christ is actually exactly how the book of Revelation starts. In essence, this is summing up what will be the start of the end times. We're looking forward to and fixing our hope on the culmination of all history. And at its peak is the revealing of Christ to the world as a king coming to reign. Fix your hope on the coming of Christ. Now, you might be sitting there and say, okay, Ryan, I see, what, I see that we need to fix our hope. You know, but how do I do that? You know, it's a good thing we need to fix our hope, but how am I supposed to do that? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Point number two, how you fix your hope on Christ's coming. 
how you fix your hope on Christ's coming. We have four actions that we are to take to fix our hope on the coming of Christ. All four of those right out of the passage. Tonight, two of those are placed in direct parallel to each other, direct contrast as a do one thing, don't do another. The first thing we see is letter A, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. The very first one that we see is one of the two we skipped earlier. Top of verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Or very literally translated would read, gird up the loins of your mind. Which sounds a little bit odd, don't you think? A <laughs> little weird. But the phrase, gird up your loins, is actually a military term. It would be how you would prepare for battle in the day. In that day, men all wore robes down to their feet, and that's not entirely conducive to just going and charging into a battle as your clothes are constantly tripping you and tangling around your feet. But what you would do is, in essence, you would tuck your robe in a sense, turning your robe into shorts, making it so you could then run into battle much more actively and be, have much more mobility. So here in 1 Peter, it's not physically gird up your loins, but gird up the loins of your mind or prepare your mind for action. Are you readying your mind for what is coming at you? We see the parallel to that in Ephesians 6, 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. The whole point of taking up the armor of God is that so you will, not, you will be ready and able to resist, to stand firm, to be rooted. From our passage here in 1 Peter it's about making ready your mind, being rooted in your mind, ready for action. Do you actively ready your mind for battle? Or do you not engage your mind and just let your brain wander to whatever it might like? So that when evil, gun, evil comes, you're unable to resist. When sin comes, when temptation comes, or even the greater context of 1 Peter, when persecution comes. You're almost staggered and saying, whoa, I, I wasn't ready for that. I didn't see that coming. You have to have your minds ready when, not if, when that comes. I want to give you a picture of what this looks like. Imagine for a second, you're a leaf pitcher in the MLB. You're in the bullpen. When there comes down a call, coach is like, hey, we're going to need you. Get ready. You're going to have to pitch. We're calling you any moment. You think you would just kind of go to the back and then just like sit there with your hands in your pockets and just be, eh, everything's okay. No, I think you'd get ready pretty fast. They're going to call on you at any moment. It's coming. I think you'd get ready fast and you'd stay ready. I mean, you're probably fired otherwise, you know, that's it's your job. <laughs> but in that same way, we as Christians have been called out by God. He's chosen us. And he's called us to be ready and told us and given us instruction to be ready. We need to be ready for what is coming. We've looked at preparing your minds for action. Now we're going to look at letter B, keep sober in spirit. Keep sober in spirit. Moving right along in 1 Peter 1, it says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Sober is the exact opposite of being intoxicated. 
When you are intoxicated, you are not fully in control of who you are or what your actions are. To be sober is to be in control of what you are doing. It's the idea of keeping a clear head about yourself. Turn over to Ephesians 5 real fast, because I want you to see this contrast that Paul sets up there of sober and being drunk. Ephesians 5, drop down to verse 18. It says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Drunk is the opposite of being sober. Stunning revelation, I know. It's, it's totally new. But here, Ephesians 5, don't be controlled by wine. Instead, be controlled by the Spirit. But back in First Peter, it's keeping control of your spirit. Keeping <clears throat> yourself controlled. Keeping focused. Keeping sober in spirit also has the idea of being able to navigate through what the world will throw at you. The ability to steer your course, make straight, and make a correct path. You must keep a clear and straight head about you to keep going. To illustrate this, I want to tell you a story of a ship. Those of you who have talked history with me for more than like five seconds know I'm a naval history nerd, so this won't come as a surprise. I guess I just like big machines that go boom, so I don't know. Anyway, during the early years of World War II, the German Navy developed a battleship that sent shivers down the necks of the Allied powers. It boasted some 64 total guns down from main caliber down to anti-aircraft. She was quick, able to do 30 knots, which is about 35 miles an hour, and it was like 50,000 tons, so 50,000 tons moving at 35 miles an hour. She was well armored. Anything less than main, main shells from other ships would not even go through the armor, not even do anything. On its first main mission, this German battleship, the Bismarck, accompanied by the heavy cruiser Prince Eugen, met an engagement with the pride of the Royal Navy, the HMS Hood, and the freshly commissioned H HMS Prince of Wales. In just eight minutes, the Bismarck had sunk the hood and severely damaged the Prince of Wales. Now the British Navy sent everything to sink this ship. Now in this encounter, it was low on fuel and was trying to make it back to German-controlled France at the time. But as it's trying to make it back, uh, a British torpedo bomber took out its rudder. Now, that's not too bad, but the problem was the rudder was slightly turned, so all this massive ship would do was do giant, like, 10-mile circles in the water. <laughs> it's not super helpful if you're trying to run away. <laughs> so the only option it had was to shut the engines down and hope German help came before the British. It didn't. The British descended on this mighty vessel and absolutely obliterated it. A ship now rests at the bottom of the sea. But I guarantee, if that rudder was still completely intact, it would have been totally making it to safe haven in France. It would have had no problem making it. But much in the same way, we have a similar problem. Where if we are not able to steer and guide our way through the treacherous waters of this world, it's going to surround us and batter us. It will be more likely to focus on the things of this world and not the eternal things. You need to keep sober in spirit. Letter C, don't be conformed to your former lusts. Don't conform to your former lusts. 
Turn back, 1 Peter. We're moving out of verse 13 now. Peter here is now setting up a contrast between two things as we move to verse 14. Let's look at it again. Verse 14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Verse 14 is a call to be obedient by not being conformed to former lusts. This idea of being conformed, being pressed into. You remember those days with Play-Doh? Oh, those were fun days. You could take this Play-Doh and shape it any way you want, press it into your hands, make any shape. That's the idea of being conformed, is, is pressed into. Or like injection molding, where you have lots of heat and pressure, and you force plastic or material to take on any shape that it is contained. It has to take on its shape. It has no other option in that. That is the way this conforming be. We are being conformed by the world, but not only that, it's our own flesh that wants to shape us and conform us into his sinful desires. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. We were ignorant of the fact that we are walking in our sins. But not only that, our flesh constantly pushes back at us and pushes us back into those lusts. It's a sad truth that even when we fight to conform from the world, we have to fight who we even are. But there is hope in this. It's Romans 8, 2, 3. For the law of spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Good news. Those who are in Christ have been set free from the bondage of sin. We can actually live out this calling to not be conformed. Because God made it possible. Do you see yourself as set free? Do you see yourself as released from the bondage that conformed you to your former lusts? Those who are in Christ have been set free from those former lusts. Like I said, Peter sets up this contrast between not being conformed and then letter D, be holy. Be holy. In contrast to not being conformed, the opposite is being required. Don't be conformed, instead be holy. In its simplest definition, holy is being set apart, being set aside for a specific purpose. Much in the same way we see the contrast given in Romans 12, (coughs) verse 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Same idea, same type of contrast that we see in 1 Peter. Don't be conformed, instead be transformed, be set apart, be holy. 
Now, what does that look like? It means that instead of going along with the world, or going along with what our flesh tells us, you stand on the word of God and set your thoughts and actions apart from this world. No, that does not mean you physically remove yourself from the world. You can't, you shouldn't. There's people and souls to win here. But much like if you were to go into another country that didn't speak your language, you'd be treated differently. Probably seen as an outsider. Probably wouldn't want to be accepted and they wouldn't want to accept you into the part of the group. But if the world looks at your life and says, yeah, that's all right. You are not living holy. That means cutting out sin in your life. That means cutting out that lust for sexual fulfillment, that boastful pride, the gossip of others, the desire for wealth and positions. It all must be cut out. But the reason Peter gives here for being holy is really incredible. Be holy like the Holy One who called you. Well, that's a real easy task to accomplish. And if you did think it was easy, consider this. God is so holy, so holy, that one wrong, act, one wrong action, one little white lie, requires his judgment of eternal damnation because you fell short of his holiness. So holy that it required the death of the perfect one, Jesus Christ, to satisfy his justice and holiness. That's your target for holiness. Have fun with that one. It's not a low bar. But again, we've been set free from sin. We are now slaves to righteousness. But how does that look? Galatians 5.16 But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And Romans 6.11 Even so, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That is how you hit your target of holiness. But there's one more reason for you to be holy. You have been redeemed. One more time, back at 1 Peter, verse 15 says, but like the Holy One who called you. Now turn over to Leviticus 11, into the crispy portion of your Bible over there. We'll see this quote, you shall be holy for I am holy in here. But Leviticus 11, you hit Genesis, turn right, three books. Gen- Leviticus 11, verse 45 says, For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy for I am holy. God called Israel to live holy because he pulled them out of the evil and slavery in Egypt. God calls us to be holy because he has pulled us out of the evil and slavery of this world. Have you been called out of this world by God? Have you been made righteous by the Holy One himself? Then you must live holy. Fix your hope on the coming of Christ. That is the call that we must do here out of 1 Peter. We see the ways that we must do that. 
but let's take home a few specific things that we should fix our hope on. Letter A, fix your hope in God's sovereign plan. Fix your hope in God's sovereign plan. (coughs) Excuse me. The world is getting worse and worse and worse. Do you want to put your hope in a world that is constantly shifting back and forth? A world whose standards, plans, and actions are always on the move. They change just like the wind, just like the weather, as it's been crazy here in Southern California for us. It changes just like that. Put your trust in the plan of God, which doesn't change. The plan that has been set for all of eternity. His plans will not change, and no one can change them. Not only that, but he's laid out that plan in his word. He's given us a glimpse of what we have to look forward to right from scripture. Trust in the God who is sovereign over all. Letter B, fix your hope on a perfect future. Fix your hope on a perfect future. We have a future to look forward to where we will not have to fight against this world anymore. We will no longer have to fight our own flesh because our desires will be transformed fully from the inside out, only wanting to do that which honors Christ. Instead of right now, we have to sympathize with Paul when he says that nothing good dwells within him, as he says in Romans 7. We'll be able to say it's all perfect. It's teleos, just right, just as it ought to be. Perfect. Sin and evil will be done away with. God will make the entirety of everything new. Never a sinful thought or action to ever happen again. That's the future we look forward to. Let us see. Fix your hope on our future home. Fix your hope on our future home. Do you long for your coming home? Do you long for that place where you will see your savior, savior, the one who made it possible for you to be in that place? Do you long for that? If your answer is yes, hold on to that. Long for that place we can't even fathom. We can't even comprehend what it will be. But if your honest answer is no, I want to challenge you. What's holding you back? What causes you to not want to be in the presence of the Lord? Is there sin in your life that remains unchecked, unconfessed before the Lord? Sin that's lurking and hindering your relationship with the Lord and causing you to lose sight of the coming of Christ. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive, as we see in 1 John 1. Or maybe here tonight you aren't longing for this future because this is not your future home. You're still conformed to your lusts, your sins you want to hold on to so tightly. You don't long for a future in heaven because you're so consumed with the sins of today. Those sins which will be demanded payment for. And apart from faith and repentance in Christ, that payment will be demanded of you. The payment of forfeiting your soul for an eternity of torment, bearing the weight of God's wrath for the sins you have committed. Your future is hell, I'm sorry to say. But there's hope while you still live. Christ offers the gift of salvation, but this life is the only chance you get. Hebrews 9.27 And inasmuch as it is appointed for men 
to die once, and after this comes judgment. But you still have hope now. You're still alive, right? I mean, you're here. Repent. Turn from those sins which are conforming you. And turn to Christ. Trust him for the payment of those sins and for the hope of our future home. Fix your hope on the coming of Christ. I want to end here with one more verse, one many of you know. Verse that almost summed up an entire semester here at Grafton like a year ago. Hebrews 12.2 Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ endured the cross by looking forward to the joy set for him. We can endure this world by looking forward to our joy set before us, the return of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for your word, your word which convicts so heavily, Lord. And Lord, I pray tonight that we who are hearing this, Lord, that we would apply this to our lives, Lord, to be fixed on your coming, to be fixed on the grace, the only gift, only gift that you are bestowing on us at the coming of the end, Lord. A gift that no one deserves, but you still freely give to us, Lord. Lord, I pray tonight that we see aspects of our lives that don't match up to your word, Lord. That we would be quick to change that, Lord. To be conforming to your word, not this world. So, Lord, I pray for the rest of tonight, Lord. That our worship honors you, our lives honor you, and our conversations honor you, Lord. That everything is for your glory. In your name I pray. Amen.